I'm a professional <laughs> podcaster. What can I say? <laughs> March 10, 2021. This is Rare Encounter, encounter number 35. And putting my four-foot bestward, I'm Abel Kirby. And emitting a healthy green glow, I'm Cold Acid. And looking for neutrons in all the right places, I'm Icehawk. And we have a guest. The hat trick is complete. <laughs> yes, Three times in a row, Rare Encounter has secured some poor soul willing to come on our show. <laughs> hat trick! Yeah, willing. <laughs> Oh, oh. By the way, Abel hmm. Kirby, you yes. keep redlining on me. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean you to redline like on you. You were super excited today. Yeah, well, it's not redlining on my end, so it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> Thanks. As far as the, as far as the, show, uh, the show's audio goes. You hear that, everyone? Cold acid doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I've known that for years. Oh, boy. So, Isaac, Isaac, you've known cold acid for quite some time, haven't you? I've been realizing for a while. <laughs> so, as you said, you weren't here voluntarily. What what did he do to uh, compel you to come on to this uh, trash fire? So many things. <laughs> no, actually, once he told me that we'd be talking about Nuke, I was like, all right, I'm in. Oh, yeah. Well, not to get too far. We, we could always jump into that right away, but that's something we do want to cover today. We will work it in, uh, in a little bit. Um, yeah, considering tomorrow... Yeah. Tomorrow is not just the first anniversary of the pandemic. It's also the 10th anniversary of the Fukushima disaster. Mm-hmm. And so we had Icehawk. What um, a day. Icehawk, we were talking, I don't know what it was, maybe five or six episodes ago. We were talking about doing something about that. And, uh, you know, Icehawk was kind enough to come on the show and, and uh, let us pick his brain about that. Um, there's been a lot of things going on in the last, uh, the last uh, week here in Baltimore, though. There was a bar. One of my one friend in in the area. Um, we were talking about different bars. He goes, "Yeah, I used to like this place. Um, my favorite bar. Yeah, we can't go there anymore because it blew up. Literally, it actually exploded in 2019. And so there was a bar with a gas explosion um, called Pub Dog, which was in the area. It's not in Baltimore proper, but it was. Um, What's Pub Dog? Pub Dog. And uh, anyway, they're reopening it again. And I've never been. It I, it, it blew up before I got here, so I've never been there. So the, coming up in the uh, maybe later this week, I'm going to go check that place out and see how it looks after it's been repaired. But, yeah, this is the... You guys are actually allowed to eat in restaurants? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're not. Hey, we're even allowed to eat in restaurants here. You just can't do it in our part of the province. You have to go up towards Algonquin. Ah. Well, yeah, DC's been fine. Uh, this whole area has been. I mean, they had that that clip that we did the last episode about the strip clubs being shut down is so it, it, it's so bullshit what the mayor did because they happened to have been open right around Christmas and they were they never shut down like they or, or I guess they did they they opened up um, it was like a span of six months they must have been open um, just in the last summer until last winter. And then they arbitrarily decided, and capriciously, so the lawsuit says, that they uh, were just going to shut down some of these areas. But oh, well. Maybe the mayor thought that COVID was turning into an STD. Oh, well, maybe. If I was dumb enough to do something like shut down businesses that weren't having a problem before, I, I would claim something like that. And I mean... For all the for all the stupidity up to that point, it could it could pass as a legitimate defense. 
Well, I think the the main I mean, reason here legitimate, legitimate that the mayor is an idiot. Yeah, we're talking about Mayor Brendan Scott, mayor of Baltimore. The, the the thing that I'm hearing is that they the city's had it out for this district. It's a little district in Baltimore where they have all the adult stuff. And the whole city council's been on these guys for, it sounds like, close to 100 years. You know, trying to shut down this area or keep them in control. Yeah, but that's where all the tax money comes from. Oh, uh, well. Oh, well, speaking we'll of... Always uh, pay for food, booze, and sex. <laughs> Speaking of, I got my. Uh, it's true. I, I got my check from the uh, of my money back from my uh, Treasury Department, the United States Treasury. So that's all uh, fourteen hundred. No, uh, I'm talking about the tax refund. I didn't get anything like oh. that. Um, though it sounds like I might. I don't know. The last time they uh, they sent out checks, they didn't really send out checks. They sent out uh, these stupid credit cards where you had to. Uh, they tried to make you agree to all the terms of service of uh, of the card before you could get your money. Which Congress said was yours, you know. They want you to like agree to the Mastercard uh, suite of uh, of. Um, I, I think the most egregious one was the um, uh, Bemrose did a whole did a whole section of this uh, on this uh, uh, Grumpy Old Ben's. It was a uh, arbitration agreement that you signed, you know, just just to get access to the money that was supposed to be yours in the first place. It's really a crappy thing. Oh, but I got proper my proper tax refund check, so I don't know what I'm going to do with those. Put them in the bank. Donate to No Agenda? Yeah, well, we'll see. I'm kind of due for that, but, you know, we'll see. What about you, Cold Acid? Oh, so, well, you were talking about the pub. You know what you haven't mentioned yet? Oh, uh, drinks. Yeah. Yeah, usually we bring that up. I've been on uh, this green tea... <laughs> Is actually what I'm drinking. I just have a cup of tea. I've got no alcohol today, so maybe that's why I'm a little sleepy. Maybe that's why I'm a little sleepy and snoozy today. It's decaf too, so it ain't helping me. Yikes! What about you? What do you got? Oh, I've got haritos, mango haritos. More of the haritos, the Mexican sodas. Yeah, I wasn't able to get out to the beer store and get me some ciders today, so I saw. I instead picked up a haritos when I got my burrito. Burritos. Which, by the way, was unwrapping at one end, which sucked, but on the upside, since it was just the one end that was opening up, it made it very easy to decide which way to eat it, and therefore, no spillage. Hmm. What about you, Isaac? You mentioned you had something before the show. Well, you guys are making me feel bad for uh, my Glenlivet 12-year-old single malt scotch. Ah, he's got the good shit! God damn! <laughs> I told you Engineers to do a beer, and you're bringing out the scotch? Look at this bougie. Look at this bougie brother of mine, huh? <laughs> uh, I can never... a successful one. I do like the uh, the Kentucky bourbon. I've I, I, uh, been drinking a lot of that lately, but uh, not scotch. I've never been a scotch guy. I've had it. I've had people who are into scotch drag me around and make me drink the drink. I never enjoyed it as much as they expected me to, so... It depends. It depends on the scotch. I'm not into like my stepdad likes the super peaty scotches, and not I'm not quite that much into it. This one's nice and smooth. Mm. Well, uh, mm. speaking of food and food and drink, uh, there was a uh, turns out there was an oyster shortage in Baltimore. I'm trying to move things along here, and I'm too too uh, 
snoozy for it. But we had oyster um, shortage. Yeah, because all of these restaurants are closed. Um, we had a couple of things going on in in. Uh, the local food and drink business. First, there was a bunch of shortages of various kinds of whiskeys and um, especially beers and cans um, because they weren't kegging um, as much beer, you know, over the last year. They were canning it instead, and so they were, um, you know, making a lot more cans than they expected they uh, they were going to, and there was an aluminum shortage, and so that was a weird supply and demand thing. The other thing is that the the oyster market is all screwed up because there's not a lot of raw, you know, raw bars and people ordering oysters. Um, and so some of the market, it sounds like the uh, the farmed oysters, well, if you have the oyster farm, they're just holding on to the oysters. They, you know, they're just not selling them. Um, and so those prices are the same, but the wild-caught oysters, their prices have just plummeted because they're trying to offload them. And I actually got a clip about that. This is from WBML, and I think they, or WBAL, uh, local station talking about uh, oyster farms. The demand from restaurants just falling off a cliff. Oyster farmer Patrick Hudson explains as basic supply and demand, slashing wild-caught oyster prices in half. Not so for farmers. A farm-raised oyster has stayed the same. Um, it is what it is because we have a lot of expenses to incur, and uh, we simply cannot sell oysters for um, less than what we put into them. The 10-acre farm located in southern Maryland has gotten creative pumping out oysters strictly made to order with new industry partners. There have been a lot of oyster farms selling online. The you know communities have supported oyster farmers, uh, FedExing oysters. True Chesapeake <laughs> is excited to welcome back customers. FedExing them. <laughs> yeah, whatever they want to do, we'll, we'll make it happen. Hope for oysters restored. Hope for oysters restored. Oh boy, so now if now, you like... This oyster Yay! shortage also affecting prairie oysters? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Um, or the Rocky Mountain Oysters. I think uh, I think it might be a good time if... Uh-oh. According to documents revealed here yep. in court in Howard County... Hold on, that's on me. Sorry. Stupid autoplay. Well, I was wondering what was going on. Why, why do all these sites do that? Well, I don't know. You gotta mute all your tabs, Doug. Why dog. don't you have a blocker? Yeah. Because this is actually one of Abel Kirby's links. Well, you didn't have to click oh. on it now. I just played the clip for you. <laughs> no, this is a different one of your links. Ah, uh, well. Anyway, uh, I do well, like... I muted and paused it. Whatever. I do like the uh, the raw oysters. It's something that I uh, I never could get out in Colorado, and so I've had them a couple times out here, and they'll tell you they're still pricey, but I'm looking at this news story saying, man, maybe it's time to actually go out and uh, there's, there's a place... Where they sell uh, kind of premium booze and raw oysters and stuff that's open down the road. So maybe I need to pay that a visit too sometime. I got a whole uh, to-do list. I got to go to this place, Pub Dog, check it out. I got to go get some oysters. Apparently, I got to go to the strip club too and find out what's going down there. Good yeah, job. support your local strippers, man. <laughs> support my single moms. <laughs> you said that, not me. <laughs> It's well, on you this so, time. So Excuse me, they said it in the clip. It doesn't sound quite as fun. No, that's true, too. They did. That's how they portrayed it when they were out protesting in front of City Hall. They said, we're all single moms. Yeah. And I wonder why. So you, what about you, Icehawk? We've never spoken before, but uh, what what have, uh, what have you been up to? What, what kind of stuff do you like to do? Um, haven't been able to do a whole lot just because of the weather. Normally, I go hiking and whatnot. Um... 
Gym's been closed, so can't really do that. It's been kind of boring this winter. Lots of video games with friends. Been playing Valheim recently. Valheim. I'm not familiar with that one. Think of basically a Norse group survival uh, game. Okay. It's incredibly fun. Going around, killing gray dwarves, building encampments, going after bosses. It's in early access on Steam, so it's got some polishing left, but it's really well done for an early access game. Hmm. I've gotten into a couple of those, um, like the survival, group survival type games. Uh, the earliest one I remember, let's see, was it The Thing? It was based on the movie The Thing. They had that, and then they had a, there was also a StarCraft used map setting map called The Thing, which I think was a copy of the game. <laughs> uh, but it was the same kind of, you know, I don't know. It, it was almost like a, what Among Us is now, except it was, you know, in the late 90s. And better. And you were playing, <laughs> oh, and you were playing the forest uh, recently until you beat that, and that's when you switched over to Valheim. Yeah, we were playing the forest for a while over the Christmas break. Mm. That was a pretty good one. The Forest Two is coming out sometime this year, I think. So we'll probably pick that up. Hmm. It's another Steam game, I presume. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, they're all Steam games these days. Yeah, that's where the whole market's gone. Yeah, if it, if you're not on Steam like or Epic dog. Game Store, then you might as well not exist. Yeah. I don't know, GOG's done some good stuff with their uh, integration of all the different sites. So you can link your Origins account, your Epic account, and your Steam account, and it'll all pull up into GOG. Really? Oh, that's cool. When did they add that? Yeah. A couple months ago? I don't know. It's I'm going to have to look recent. into this. Yeah, I've never liked the GOG launcher. I actually went out of my way to not use yeah, it. Yeah, their launcher sucks. So, I, any well, they feature... They it. It's Galaxy 2 now. I would always... Uh... When I bought stuff off GOG, I would always... Uh, it used to be really easy. They, every, it seems like every year they make it harder and harder to just get... Give me the zip file with the, date, the game data inside it. You know, let me have the thing I bought without having a launcher, an extra app I have to install. Um... Yeah, it's yeah, supposed to be all DRM-free games, so why why do they need to have the fucking launcher in the first place? And now it seems like ever since they put out GOG Galaxy, you pretty much need GOG Galaxy just to download the games. Even though they're all DRM-free anyways. Yeah. Oh, well, for me, it's, a, you know, there's, there's an archivist... Uh, perspective that i have you know i want to have a local copy of all this stuff and so i have a games folder on my land uh, on my nas which i keep all the games that i've bought they sit in there and they get backed up too so in case something happens i still have a copy of them so yeah. I, I own a collection of programs you know i just like who i own a collection of recordings long, who knows how long gog's going to last now anyways i mean cd project is not doing very well uh from what I've seen, the the flubs around the launch of Cyberpunk 2077 have really hurt them financially. Hmm. And as far as Not I fair. know, they still own GOG. Yeah, CD Projekt owns GOG. Cyberpunk 2077 wasn't that bad. Like, it worked fairly well. No, the game itself wasn't that bad, players. but... There was a, there was a lot of there was a lot of hype that it didn't exactly live up to, which is never a good thing, and the number of delays and launch issues that were around it, like when you launch a game, you want it to 
even if you don't have everything there just yet and you need to do like some patches to add functionality, better that than to launch it with bugs. Well, the problem they ran into was when they did delays, they did like, oh, we need another month. Oh, we need another six weeks. They should have just said, we're delaying it for a year to get all this stuff done. And then eventually they fell to the whole thing. Marketing said it needs to be out now. And they, instead of having the release date set by the devs, it was set by the business side, which is never a great idea. Yeah. No, it's never a good idea. I'm looking at and, the, the but Gaga. In some ways, it made me think of Duke Nukem Forever, which was an okay game, but after such a long development cycle with the in numerous times where they scrapped everything and started over and all the hype that was built up around it like it was guaranteed to to fail it could have been the best game of all time and it would have still it would have still like fallen on its face because there's no way it could live up to everything yeah star citizens another good example Die Katana! <laughs> Remember when John Romero was going to make you his bitch? Oh, that was great. Now, you're going to have to fill me in on what that means, because I'm, uh, I'm lost. That, that was the Okay, trailer. so like back when Die Katana game. was under development, there, was, there were these ads for it, and the ad said, John Romero is going to make you his bitch. Okay. Now, the, th the thing is... The thing is, he was just thinking about, like, the usual sort of smack talk that him and everybody at id back in the old days would do with each other when they were deathmatching. And uh, didn't really didn't really consider how the ad would actually play out in public. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it, Spectacular. it was... It was not the best, yeah, it was not the best marketing move, uh. to, put it, to put it lightly. Like, case studies have been written about, like, how fucked up a move that was <laughs> in terms of advertising and marketing. And, well, these days he's like, yeah, that was a huge mistake. Right? It's still, it's still something that he's, he's never going to live down. I think he's come to real, he's, he's owned up to it. That as the guy who is the head of Ion Storm and essentially where the buck stopped on everything he did not do enough due diligence terrible. on this particular ad and it didn't help that like ion storm at least the part of ion storm that he ran instead of warren specter ran was such a clusterfuck of an operation can, can you like, remind me a couple games that Romero, ion storm uh, made just to to get me in the right uh headspace here I, I recognize well, the name. Katana, of course, is the one everybody knows. But beyond that, I, I never played that game. I remember the name, and I gotta, I'm trying, I gotta to, trying to think of what the uh, the titles they had. I don't were. remember. I don't remember. My, oh, Deus Ex. That would yeah. The there only, you go. The only success they had, and that was that was from the that was from the one that Warren Spector was running. Yeah, that's what was that's what I was uh, trying to come up with. Uh, forgot what it was yeah that's what ion storm that's what i uh that's what i was thinking of Deus yeah, so Ex. and then unfortunately Dominion, storm over gift three daikatana anachronox and deus x at ion storm austin hmm. <clears throat> jeez i was just looking at the gog.com uh site 
you know, to see just what when you go there and you click on show me show me some games, what do they have on their page? I think it's sorted. It says sort by popularity, but I didn't click that. I just clicked on the first thing on the page, and it's like, well, they have Cyberpunk up there, but then everything else on here is like Hollow Knight, Diablo, you know, Heroes of Might and Magic Three. I'm scrolling down. I see like Honey Pop Two, <laughs> the uh, the blockbuster. Honey Pop, yeah, I guess. lol. Honey Pop, yeah. So they, this is the top of Gog. Is this is, I guess maybe that's what they're selling the most of. Doesn't well, Gog doesn't... start is. CD Projekt started as doing localizations of older games mm-hmm. and reselling them. So they have a lot of, I guess, quote-unquote classics in their inventory. Yeah, but they do new releases, though. Is they it just people some. are choosing not to think, uh, release with GOG and they're, they're Steam only? I think that's a part of it. Because I think a lot of... They've only started recently doing big new releases. Mm. Last couple of years kind of thing. Hmm. Oh, well, there were some uh, other localizations I was looking at. Uh, this is actually an anime, a uh, set of anime clips I pulled out that I thought would be fun. Um, do you remember a, an anime called Panty Stalking Garter Belt that came out, uh, I don't know, it was maybe six or seven years ago? Yes, but I didn't I watch the original it, actually. The, uh, the um, English dub for that I'd never heard before. And I actually went online and I found a couple clips of it. And, uh, Uh-oh. It, yeah, and if you remember how, what the show was, it was a lot of... Um, how, I don't know, how would you describe it, Cold Acid? I never actually watched it. I've only seen fan art and the occasional screenshot from it. And my idea was it was a bit too lewd for me. <laughs> it was. It's completely irreverent. Here's here's some uh, some just random clips of that stuff too. from it. Yeah. Look, if you can't find a tissue, just use your tongue. That's what I always do. <laughs> stuff like that. That was one of the main <laughs> characters' voices. They had a. Uh, I think her thing oh is. My, how lewd. Yeah. The, if stuff so like stop that. acting like fat assholes. Well, he's feeling lucky now. But he was just a plumber. So true. And my pipes are totally clean. <laughs> this garbage. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, yeah. This is Panty has her... Uh, and what a spunky little hole it is. A stank asshole. <laughs> Smells fishy. Look, are you sure that's not you? It must be that clam chowder I had earlier. <laughs> it's just... The, the dub is uh, is just absolutely crazy. Every other thing that they have, they have a garter belt as the uh, the priest who's telling him. So the, the the plot is that they have to, they're kind of like Charlie's Angels, sort of, um, but that only in the fact that they're supposed to be, uh, you know, they they have you know the priest comes in, he goes angels, and then they they he's supposed to tell him what to do, but they don't listen to him. They just so he just yells at them the whole time. Um, they're supposed to be going on missions to like save people from uh, from different. Supernatural occurrences and shit, but it's just completely uh, bonkers. This was a garter belt. Uh, Let me guess, it's another rogue glory hole shitstorm. All right, you hookers, go wash your asses in the sink and get to high school before that ghost swindles any more students. Let's <laughs> get shit like that. The hell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good morning, angels. It's so nice of you to grace us with your most malcontent presence today. This is who I'm waking up to? Asshole. I'm not going to stop what I was doing, so you only have yourself to blame for what you're about to smell, preacher douchebag. (laughs) This was fun. This was a Gynex show that came out, um, I forget exactly when, but it was, um, it was the one that had the Fly Away Now uh, soundtrack. Everyone liked the soundtrack when it came out with all the, um, 
the remixes of a bunch of different, you know, kind of clubby songs, house songs and stuff. But they, they had all these really funky, uh, kind of really weird remixes of stuff that they would play. So the soundtrack was fun. I don't remember being able to follow all the jokes in Japanese. And so it sounds like when they translated it, they really ramped up the, uh, the you know, the coarse language inside it beyond what I remember. So it's uh the psg crew were part of gynax that went off to trigger weren't they yeah but it was produced by gynax i think i don't think it was produced by trigger no it was before trigger wasn't founded until after panting stalking yeah yeah it might not have been founded until after psg yeah i'm looking wow geez it was 2010 was the original run well i keep underestimating the uh, how long ago these things were the 90s were Doesn't only 10 Doesn't it make you feel ago. old? <laughs> there you go. The 90s were only 10 years if ago. If only. You feel old yet? Yep. I feel yeah. old every day. Well, we were talking yeah, about... Yeah, Trigger wasn't found we until like August 2011. Yeah, so that would have been right and after Kill this. And Kill the Kill was their, was their first show. Didn't, what, didn't they have a series before that? It was a Well, they had their uh, short series no. before that. Yeah, they had a short series. No, they had that a they short. Uh, what was it called? The guy oh, with yeah. the motorcycle. In- Inferno cop. Inferno cop. Inferno yeah. cop. <laughs> that was great. That's right. I was counting actually like released on TV, not released on YouTube. Uh well. Because if you do that, then they actually have two series plus Little Witch Academia. Yeah, the movie which they were did. All yeah. Released, yeah, which were all released before uh, Kill a Kill. That's good. I got to see some of those guys. Um, maybe, I don't know. Were you there with me at AX? We keep going back to like that one year we were there together. Uh, I think yeah, tri- 2015. Yeah, the trigger panel was there, wasn't it? I remember. Yeah, they- but I didn't get into there. It was fucking packed. Yeah, I was up there and they had uh, they were just talking about the studio and stuff like that. You know, uh, some one of them spoke English well enough that you could understand him. So that was kind of fun. But I can't remember what his name was. That was a good time. They seem like yeah, cool I think I think I was in line for it, but uh, but too far back in the line that I wasn't able to get uh, in. Yeah, that was one that was packed, especially because yeah, they was, had that was like a ridiculous size panel, and that was in like one of the biggest rooms too. Yeah, they had that in the same year. They had hmm, maybe it was the year before. I'm trying to remember. They had um, the concert with it was the Kill a Kill. They had the entire voice cast of Kill a Kill in Japanese and in English. All on the same panel. Oh, nice. Um, and they had all the creators, the directors, and the creative people were there. And then they had the um, um, the woman who sings the ending theme for the show was there. And she did a concert at the panel. That was how they closed it out. And she did kind of a half a set of, uh, you know, I don't know what it was, six songs or something like that. That'd be pretty neat. Oh, uh, yeah. And so they, they showed the first episode of Kill a Kill. And the way that is formatted is they... The episode starts, and then the the ending theme. I'm sorry, she did the open. the The ending theme was the song that that she had written for the show. And instead of playing the ending theme, just the lights came on, and they were already on stage, and they started playing the uh, the uh, the song live. It was pretty cool. It was one of those Japanese concert style, you know, where they had the glow sticks and everything. So I still have the glow stick from it somewhere, stashed away in a box. Nice. It's not okay. So anymore, yeah, just I just now. looked up the. Uh... I just looked up the guy who was series director for Pandy and Stalking with Garter Belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hiroyuki Imaishi. He was also the series director for Gurren Lagan and one of the founders for Studio Trigger. So, yeah, definitely 
his first directorial work at the studio is Kill la Kill as well. So, hmm. yeah. I'm back Where's from rocking out with okay. the and Notice how they all... <laughs> I stepped on you. <laughs> notice they all have a same similar sort of, like, animation style, and at least Gurren Lagann and Kill la Kill have the same sort of, like, energy going on. Oh, yeah. Like, that crazy energy. Yeah. That was the fun part, too. It, yeah. Gurren Lagann I always liked because it, the sort of the dynamic range of the show is the largest of any story I've ever seen. <laughs> Where it, the, the opening episode, the opening shot, um, is the smallest kind of setting you can have. It's like a guy in a tunnel in this claustrophobic like there's a there's a couple of people who just they live in a hole in the ground they, they've never seen the sunlight you know they've never been to the surface and it's just a guy just drilling through the ground boring through the ground and then every episode the the world that they're in just gets bigger and bigger so it's like wow now now we're up on the surface and now they have uh, they're traveling around and then they have the whole planet and then they have to you know they're out in space and they're fighting the moon and then the next thing you know they're they're taking over the galaxy and then they're taking over other galaxies and by the end of the show they have uh by the end of like the show a giant they're robot. throwing galaxies around <laughs> like shuriken yeah they're they're picking up galaxies and throwing them at each other and so they go from the smallest scale possible to the largest in 27 episodes it was such an awesomely yeah. ridiculous show i loved it so much that was um, now, here's something uh, I can tie into a story of something that's going on right now. The Gurren Lagann fan subs came out really fast, especially for those last two or three episodes where everyone was watching it, waiting for them. And it was the fastest turnaround I'd, at the time, had ever seen for a uh, for a fan sub. And nowadays, the, a lot of these are getting translated before they actually air um, with people by people who have access to the scripts and things like that. But the um, Gurren Lagan, it was the, the classic fan sub style where someone had to record it off the TV, someone had to go through and transcribe all the lines, someone had to translate them all, and then someone had to go through and do all the timing and, you know, uh, then encode well, the episode. They weren't recording that. it off the TV. They were just ripping the streams at that point and re-encoding them. I think they were ripping it off a TV source because they, uh, back at that time in 2007... They would still have the television commercials on there. Oh yeah, I mean, but even, they were not. It's not like they were pulling it over analog TV or analog cable. It was all digital TV at that point. Y yeah, so they were getting. Uh, it's a getting MPEG transport streams. Yeah, it's right? an MPEG transport and stream. They were just reencoding them. Yeah, but it's not. Um, I was in a fan subgroup in college. Oh really? Times. Yeah, tell me about that. Oh yeah. Uh, editor and proofer. Yeah, I don't remember hearing about this. Oh yeah. Me and one of my friends up at college. So what'd you, you do? You know who it is. I did editing and proofreading. I know who it is. Okay. You know who it is. Because apparently a lot of these people that do the translations do it very literal. And it doesn't quite translate over properly. Hmm. What, what shows did you work on? Yeah, I... I... Oh. That memorable, huh? Wreck. <laughs> Wreck was one. Wreck. Um, yeah. Wreck. I don't. It's it's been since like two thousand four five. That's <laughs> like it's been a while. Know. I remember watching Wreck. Soko no strain. I'm trying to think of the random shit that was out uh, in that era. My friend, uh, my friend would remember. He's far more into this sort of thing than I was. Ah, uh, that's too bad. You don't have an old website or anything like that still up. It's all uh, it's all gone by now. 
He might. I'd have to ask Richard. <laughs> he, oh, he'd know. Boy. He kept well, doing it a lot longer than I did. There was... Um, Kaze no something was the name of the group. Stigma? Oh, the, the group. Oh. <laughs> yeah. K&K. K&K. I think that's what it was. It would be kind of funny if I had one of those files. I have stuff that might date back that far. But I don't think I I don't think I do, unfortunately. Wreck was pretty was pretty nice. It was a it was a show about a uh, about a aspiring voice actress who had like it was like really big on Audrey Hepburn. Here it is, Kaze no Kuei fan subs. Put put a link in the in the IRC shuffle. XXXaholic. Oh, fuck. Soul yeah. Link. Yep. Karin. Man, I worked on some of these. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Kind of wish I never found those again. Yeah. <laughs> I think Shuffle, if you did you if you worked on the fan sub for Shuffle, it might have been the one that I watched because I remember watching that about that time. Yeah, I, I worked on that one. Uh, it's kind of fun. I did not enjoy that show, by the way, nor did I like the visual novel, but... I appreciate the work that goes into it. I have a friend who uh, who thinks it's it was his favorite show of all time, and you talk about it and just go on. Yeah, it was, you know, his, he liked the VN, too. Uh, it got kind of depressing, didn't it? Oh, yeah. God, it did. Uh, some of those routes were... I can't remember any of the characters' names, but they had... Uh, I don't know. The, who was the one who had, like, the split personality? She's, like, the childhood friend character, and then it turns out she's just really fucked up the whole time. Uh, the the I, redhead one. Yeah, the redhead one. Ah, I w did not like her at all. I absolutely hated her character. <laughs> I can't remember her name she at all. She was loco. Loco. Absolutely nuts. Uh, well, then you can appreciate. I saw um, a toot on shipposter.club, which is the Mastodon uh, instance. I think Cold Acid, you went to that now, didn't you? Yeah, I've got an account on Shitposter now. Um, there's a guy over there. I think you see him around once in a while. It's Cool Boy Mew. Um, he actually is on a, another anime podcast over there. Uh, but uh, he tooted out some screenshots for... It's not a show I'm watching. I think it's for Beasters, which is the furry show, which I'm not... Uh, I read some of the manga, and I was... You know, it wasn't, wasn't for me. But the uh, the screenshots, I put them in our show notes. It's... Apparently, um, using soft subs, what you see in the screenshot is just two pieces of paper and they're filled in, you know, it's like a form with, you know, a name and a height and weight or something like that. And then this, um, you know, whole big block of text is like this whole page of text that's, uh, sitting on a, sitting on a desk. And what they did is using the soft subs, uh, encoded, you know, in, in the, uh, in the video file, they actually went and rendered English text and typeset it, you know, over the uh, the Japanese text, and they matched the I colors and everything too. I think I've mentioned this before. I think I've mentioned this before when when we were talking about uh, subtitle formats in the past. That yeah, like the stuff you can do with ass slash SSA is fucking amazing. And I, you know, every once in a while you'd notice things like. Oh, well, they translated a sign, and you can tell because the colors are just off a little bit. You know, you can tell it's a mat. It's like a mat with English letters on it, you know, covering up where the Japanese word would be. And 
on here, you can zoom in on this. It looks just friggin' amazing. Just the way they, uh, if you if you look at the pictures, we'll put those in the show notes so you can take a take a peek at them. Yeah, those are definitely going in the show notes because yeah. that is really amazing. It's a it's a technical feat, and all, all the text is in perspective too. Um, it's just little things like that. They're they're slightly different angles. It's not like it's a, a you know a straight straight on shot of a piece of paper. The the paper is overlapping with other pages, and it's partially obscured, and, and, and you know it's it's just great. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. I wanted to bring it up on the show. All right. Well, we've been teasing this uh, radiation uh, topic for a little while now. Yeah, we should hit into it. Yeah. So, how do you... I don't have any anime to talk about, so... Let's get on to glowing in the dark. (laughs) Well, if you want, um, I can give us a little intro uh, that maybe gets us started. We had, coming up on the 11th, uh, which is tomorrow, as we record, um, it is the anniversary of the uh as we said earlier this uh, earthquake in japan this big disaster that happened and then kind of the most famous thing about that people remember about it besides there was a there's a whole lot of bad shit happened there was a tidal wave oh yeah um there was this huge evac uh zone where no one could you know which was flooded um a lot of people died and then in the months and even like years after um, they had, they were dealing with the fact that some of these um, power plants, which were on the coast. Um, well, I don't want to get into all the details. I get some clips that were, were Ma- guys going to tell just, mainly just Fukushima and just the Fukushima Daiichi. What? But uh, I know that aside from that 10 years on, there are still people who have not been able to go back to their homes from before the disaster uh, many of them of course because of the because of the issues at the nuke plant but there are people from other parts of japan as well who are along the coast and and their areas were completely wiped out and they had to start over elsewhere yeah um let me let me try this i've got a bbc report um and unfortunately i didn't go listen to all my clips again so i got a bbc report maybe this is the good way to start us off <laughs> Friday the 11th of March 2011, a major earthquake hit Japan's east coast. It was the most powerful the country had ever seen. It triggered a 40-meter tsunami that wrecked everything in its way. Residents were given just an eight-minute warning. The tsunami would go on to claim the lives of around 20,000 people. With a 40-foot wave, those close to the impact didn't stand much of a chance. For weeks, there was chaos and devastation, and thousands of people would never even be found. And so that's the the, um, tsunami in Japan. And then I think I have a clip about the radioactive water. And this is a CNN clip um, that's going to talk, I think, more about the radiation. (laughs) 
It's an act that maybe seems to defy some common sense, but it's happening anyway. Right now, more than 11,000 tons of this radioactive water are being dumped into the Pacific Ocean. Now, Japanese officials say it is the only viable solution to try to save those generators at the fragile Fukushima Fukushima, uh, nuclear plant. Now, the desperate measure here comes after engineers failed over the weekend to plug this crack, leaking toxic water at the plant. That water has been pooling up. Storage tanks then are getting full, so workers there now have to clear the space out so they can now store water that is even more radioactive. And this is the kind of reporting that I remember from the era, which which is what you'd see on TV um, if you watch CNN. Um, if it happened today, I'm sure they would still be on CNN reported just the same way. Um, the reason that I got interested in this topic is because I was listening to a bunch of different podcasts, and I, I came up they weren't really podcasts. They were sort of recordings of lectures. And one was by a guy named Wade Allison, um, who had written a book called Radiation and Reason. Um, and he was discussing contemporaneously. So this, I think he's talking in 2012 um, about some of the, the issues that were going on at the time um, and sort of the shortcomings of, uh, of the, um, uh, some of the response and some of the the ways that they were trying to you know people were getting a little more scared than they maybe needed to be because the uh, because no one knew anything about what was going on. Uh, so this was Wade Allison. Where I've heard that before. Yeah, I've got I think four or five clips on this. If you want, I could just go through um, the uh, the series and then because I don't remember what they all are. Let's just start with I guess number one. Thank you. Anyone looking at the newspapers in the last few days may have noticed that public opinion is completely blind to fact. If it sells newspapers, it doesn't have to be true. And that can have some exceedingly serious consequences. And I want to explore some of those today. Yeah. And so that was how he started his presentation. Immediately, I was, I was listening to him. Here's the next clip. Uh, if I click in it. medical physics, I became very unhappy indeed about the public perceptions of radiation. Uh, four days before Fukushima, I gave a lecture about radiation, and I wouldn't change a word of what I said then today. So I want to talk about Fukushima and Chernobyl and what we know and what we don't know. Unfortunately, the story ends up rather like a Shakespearean tragedy when you go to Japan. It's all about suspicion good intentions, complete misunderstandings, and unnecessary misery. And as scientists, we've really got to grab hold of this agenda. I think his key point that he's he's going to make through the rest of these clips is the unnecessary misery part, uh, which is... Uh, let's uh, keep going through some of these. This is a clip of radioactivity. The first thing is that the science of radiation and nuclear is not particularly hard, it's just supposed to be hard, so everybody switches off. Most of the world that we deal with, chemistry, burning, lasers, light, all that sort of thing, is associated with the outer part of the atom where the electrons are. And right in the middle of each atom, there is a nucleus. And the nucleus is 100,000 times smaller than the atom. The nucleus is completely isolated. In fact, it does, to a very good approximation, absolutely nothing. 
The only thing that a nucleus can do is to decay. All the atoms we see around us today, with the exception of hydrogen, are all nuclear waste, if you like it, but a few uh, billion years old. And some of them are still decaying. Very rarely, but a few are. And that is what we call radioactivity. And does that, uh, let me ask you, Icehog, does that sound like a good description? Yeah, pretty much. Everything decays, it's, depending on how unstable it is and how energetic it is, will determine how, what's coming out of it, basically. Mm -hmm. And so, my understanding is that there's, well, the kind of radiation that I'm used to dealing with, I'm a, a microwave technologist, maybe may be, be the best way to describe myself. Uh, I do a lot of microwave radio work. Um, and that kind of radiation is different than the kind of radiation that we're discussing right now. Um, the sort of radio waves that come out of your cell phone and things like that are um, are photons leaving um, an antenna and traveling in the form of a wave, you know, to some other antenna that they're being received by. And the thing about photons is they don't have any mass. They're, they're just the carrier for energy for the electromagnetic uh, force. What we're talking about with nuclear radiation um, is that inside, when, when he talks about the nucleus of the atom decaying, there's kind of two ways that that'll happen. Maybe, well, three, I guess, um, that I know of. It was you either have alpha radiation where you have a emission of, I believe it's two protons and two neutrons. It's, it's a helium uh, nucleus, shoots out of, out of an atom, and then it loses, you know, the the mass of all those particles that get ejected, but they're, they're massive particles that do actually get ejected from the, uh, the atom. And that would, what's called alpha is what's called alpha decay. And then there's a beta decay, um, which is where, um, now you'll have to correct me on this. I think it's a proton decays into a, um, neutron and a electron or a pro a positron and an anti, uh, no, a proton, a proton. Is no, I'm sorry. An electron and, and a quarks. I saw Can you weigh in on this? What's, wh how would you describe beta decay? Um, I'm not so much on the actual physics part. As far as I recall, if you've got a beta, you're popping out it's a neutrino and an electron. Proton? Uh, it, I, I believe the decay Wikipedia is... It, will answer this for us. Yeah. <laughs> what, what happens is, um, cold acid, the, my understanding of this anyway, is that at some point, those, when you try and separate these quarks, it, they, it becomes more energetically likely for them to spontaneously turn into an electron and a neutrino than to be a quark. And so that turns out that's just something that happens. And so the uh, yeah the electron so and the I, neutrino I aren't popped open the, uh, the book of knowledge. Yeah, I should open and that. And yeah, what it looks like is uh, is neutron a neutron through beta decay becomes a proton and emits ah there we go yes electron and a uh, and a uh, neutrino. Yes, I had that. I had that wrong. No, it's sorry, a an anti neutrino. I had that wrong. It's a uh, neutron that decays into a proton. Um, anyway, the the point of this is we're talking about matter that's actually being ejected out of the uh, out of the radioactive material. Um, and maybe it's a slight. Uh, it almost seems like a uh, distinction without a difference because it's 
the, these particles still travel through things uh, the same way uh, the same way a um, electromagnetic wave will just travel through walls and travel through uh, all kinds of different structures. And they even have wavelengths, and, and, and there's some more details that uh, I'm still firming up my own knowledge on. But let's get back to uh, Wade Allison, and uh, here I think he's going to talk about uh, some of the. Oh, go ahead. The the other one you're forgetting about is, is also gamma, which is another. It's one of the stronger ionizing radiations out of a nuclear reaction. And do what's the the precise cause of that? Um. That I'm not entirely certain, because again, not a nuclear physicist. Yeah. But I know a lot of the stuff when I was working in nuclear waste was you had to shield against gamma radiation because beta and alpha are very easily shielded against. Alpha is stopped by the dead uh, layer of skin on a person. Beta is stopped by something like a couple centimeters of water, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Gamma, on the other hand, is one you need lead or steel or concrete. So my my understanding though of gamma rays was that they were photons and they're part of the electromagnetic spectrum. Um, so yeah, okay, they're, it's still dangerous, you know. Uh, uh, ionizing radiation, gamma ray. My understanding of it is it's just the highest uh, or one of the highest energy photons that you can get. Um, so it's just way yeah. Up, they've got a very like high a fre frequency frequency of ten yeah. to the power of nineteen hertz. Yep. Or waves yeah, per second. They're in the Kel electron volt to mega electron volt range. Yep. All right, let's go to Wade Allison. Uh, he's going to talk about uh, panic here is the name of the clip. So what happened in Japan on the 11th of March 2011? Well, it's very interesting. The Japanese, as a people, are very well drilled as to what to do when an earthquake happens. There were 500,000 people in the area that was inundated by the tsunami. And in between 26 and 45 minutes, they got all those people out except 18,800 were killed by the flood. But when the radiation came, they didn't know about radiation. And so they panicked, and they're still panicking today. And by today, he's talking about one year later. Um, do you, uh, Isaac, do you have any background? You know, what do you, what do you know about the, the Fukushima uh, whole situation? The accident, if you were. So I know some of the stuff, we went over it in uh, the nuclear safety course that I took. Mm -hmm. So there were several problems with what happened. The biggest cause basically came down to the complacency of TEPCO, the operator, and of the Japanese regulator, whose name I don't recall. Because mm -hmm. basically the way it happened was they had been warned that theoretically you could get a tsunami that large. And TEPCO said... You know, we did a, a safety analysis, which, of course, had been done like 30 years earlier, that said, you know, this is the biggest wave we ever have to deal with. Our seawall is this big, so we're fine. Yeah. Not accounting for the fact that climate change is a thing. So they weren't prepared when something actually came and went over. They had, um, I remember this in the this news. It was it was out there um, at the time the... Uh, the flood was all over the place. Uh, they, they had these stories about the uh, the pillars that they had in the forests of Japan. There, there was these historical markers that were up um, just beyond the uh, the where the tsunami flooding actually ended, and they had these you know just really old uh, markers there that said "Don't build your homes below this line," going all up and down the coast, and uh, the. 
what the uh, what the implication was, they said, well, this is something that's happened at least once before, and so they they put up all these warnings, and everyone ignored it. They built down by the yeah. uh, the sea anyway. What I found really weird is they put their emergency generators in the basement. Yeah. Which, if flooding is a risk, that's where the water is going to go. It seems like a really bad design decision. Yep. Yeah. The um, my understanding of what actually went wrong is yeah, it was the the backup generators got flooded out from the uh, from the water. So the nuclear reaction had shut down or as much as they can. They uh, they um, detected the earthquake. Yeah, the reaction was dead. They detected the earthquake and they shut everything down. And the only material that they had was the uh, the nuclear material that was already in there. It was already decaying. But they still had to keep it cool. Um, and so as um, you know, time went on, they, w- they were just pumping cooler water around it i guess um how how did do you know how this system worked so i believe those i believe those uh generators in the basement were the ones to were the ones that were supposed to be running the pumps once the reaction died down and of course with them flooded they couldn't run the pumps anymore yeah so not exactly So the way it works is generally a nuclear power plant will supply power to the grid, but it also takes power from the grid to run things like the cooling pumps. Now, in this situation, the reaction was done. There was no fission occurring in the core, but you still have decay heat in the fuel, which is a hell of a lot of heat. So when the tsunami hit, they lost the grid, so they had no power. And then you have your backup generators that turn on that are supposed to keep those cooling pumps going. Those flooded out or were damaged by the waves and collapsing ceilings. So they lost all of their cooling. And what happens then is, despite the fact that there's no fission happening, it is still heating up because of the decay heat. And because they couldn't cycle new water into it, the water evaporates off, exposes the fuel, and then that melts. And then it gets hot enough that the ceramic fuel melts. It'll melt the tank around it. And it forms corium, which has only been created twice. Hmm. Once at Chernobyl and then at Fukushima. I think there was a, a part of that where they had um, hydrogen being formed by the, uh, by the water as it was. There, there was some process in there. I can't remember exactly what it was. But they had a buildup of, uh, of hydrogen gas um, that actually exploded. And I think I have a clip I think this is it. So what happened with the go. reactors? Well, as soon as the earthquake came, oh, yeah, he's the reactors tell- <laughs> were turned off. So <laughs> the ah, only heat that they were generating was the radioactivity of the radioactive atoms that had already been formed. That's a lot of heat to get rid of, and you've got to do something about it. There was hey, we already no know this, bud. <laughs> radioactivity. And the rest of the story actually is chemistry, not nuclear physics. And the zirconium, which is a metal which just holds the uranium in place. That reacted with the water at well over a thousand degrees and created hydrogen. And this created an enormous pressure as well as a high temperature inside the reactors and of course the operators with a great deal of difficulty and a lot of bravery managed to release the pressure inside the reactor vessel and let it out. Hydrogen burns and can explode in air, and not surprisingly, it did. 
And then they uh, that showed up on the news. I, I remember that story when it came out um, some days later. So the, the, the whole place, it blew up. The whole yep. plant has exploded. There's, you know, a nuclear, they, the way they reported it was, it was as if a nuclear bomb went off. So. Yeah, there was, uh, it like that there was a hydrogen explosion at, at uh, Chernobyl as well, wasn't there? Uh, I completely, so that's, sorry, I was talking that's over you, debated. I saw it. That's debated. So some think that the reactor building four exploded because of a hydrogen explosion, and other people think it was a steam explosion. That's never been definitively decided. Well, and steam, those are some nasty okay. explosions That's too. Redundant. We're all we're all agreed that it was that there was an explosion though. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you see some of those the, like the steam engine boilers, the old timey, you know, where the the engineer on the oh, railroad yeah. Oh, yeah. got the those... boiler too hot. Yep. Those are that's some gnarly shit. Yeah, and there's like nothing for there's nothing for like at least 50 feet in every direction when yeah, it happens. That's a steam explosion. And people and people within like 200 feet could get shredded by shrapnel. That's steam, yeah. Yeah. Well, this one had uh, I uh, also I got to fact check you I got to fact check you on the corium thing, Icehawk. There gotcha. was there was some created at 3 Mile Island Aha. with the partial was meltdown there. there. Oh, yeah, I didn't think they got to the point that they actually melted their fuel down. Hmm. No, but it never it never left the uh, as far as I know it never left the chamber. Mm, gotcha. Unlike unlike with Chernobyl and Fukushima, where you actually had like corium lava flows. A lot of people forget the first. And really yes, it was lava by the definition the of lava. It wasn't it wasn't rock magma, but it was it was still lava. What was that? Uh, what was that? I saw. A lot of people forget that the big, the first big nuclear accident happened in the U.S. in Pennsylvania. And uh, what was that? Three Mile Island in '79. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. I I'm still not clear on exactly what happened there. I mean, what's the the background on that one? We actually had a similar incident happen at the Darlington Nuclear Station, but they managed to fix it. Um, if I recall correctly, what happened at really? Three Mile Island was there was a configuration issue. They had done some maintenance, and there was a control valve, a pressure release valve, that either maintenance left it open when it was supposed to be closed, or it was closed and it was supposed to be open. Either way, they had a problem with it, and through lack of communication and poor procedures, didn't figure it out in time. And they wound up boiling water inside the reactor... So when they checked their boilers, it looked like the boilers were full of water because the steam bubble had actually lifted the water up above the boiler, but it was mostly empty. So thinking they were overpressurizing the boiler, they Ooh. shut down the cooling water input, hmm. boiled off all the water, and then started a partial shut or partial meltdown. Oof! But they managed to figure it out, start putting coolant back in, and they partially melted down the core. But not to the extent that there was any release. Jeez. Well, and uh, that's still that's still something that has to be report had to be reported to the IAEA, right? Yeah, and whatever the predecessor to the Department of Energy and uh, oh, what is it, the NRC, Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Yeah. Also, okay, I thought the after... first I thought the first real nuclear accident was Castle Bravo. 
when the when the bomb turned out to be 15 megatons uh, of TNT equivalent instead of uh, six megatons equivalent. That that's not an energy generation uh, thing, though. No, but it's still it's still a nuclear accident. The first yeah, the first I, real I big like one plant. instead of a personal one. Yeah. Okay. I guess even Bombs stuff their own thing. Like the what was it? The demon core. Uh, the plutonium core. Yeah, the was, demon core. There is a story, but that was all. Yeah, but those were all those were all personal accidents. Yeah, playing with that screwdriver, man. Oh boy. Yeah, don't fuck with screwdrivers <laughs> when you're dealing with radioactive materials. Well, speaking of, of radioactive materials, let's get. Uh, I got a couple more clips to burn through here. There's Wade Allison talking about what happened after the explosion. The radioactivity was blown out when the hydrogen came out of the reactor vessels, and this did get spread around, but. It was nothing to do with the explosions, and it has caused no casualties, which is something that we're going to have to come back to. There was no radiation disaster. I mean, a few nuclear reactors destroyed themselves. Well, that's very expensive for somebody. But there was no health consequences of that radiation at all. There were health consequences of the panic, and we're going to, we'll come to that. And he goes through his um, his explanation of the the human toll of of uh, what happened in the aftermath here, and, and in the full presentation is he was presenting at Oxford, um, like the University of Oxford, uh, and giving a lecture on it. Um, the whole thing I think was a little over an hour. Um, so I just kind of took clips, like you can't clip everything. And he goes into a lot of detail in that whole thing about um, how radiation safety thresholds were first established um where that what the data sets were where they came from who was doing the analysis and why were the different decisions in them made in different ways is actually really interesting uh really interesting spiel that he gives um but i think we skipped over uh, a lot of that i'm just going to play i think i got two more clips here where he's just talking about the the effects of uh of the uh reaction to the radiation. So there was fear and panic and failure of leadership and a press not listening, running around, finding experts who would tell them what they wanted to sell more newspapers. And that wasn't very difficult. And as a result of all this, at a personal family level, people were told they'd got to move out of their homes, their businesses folded, there were bankruptcies, there were suicides, there were death of elderly people who were forcibly moved alcoholism, family breakup, and bedwetting amongst young people. All the kinds of things that you'd expect from severe stress on a community. Hmm. And his, his thesis around some of this is that they knew what the, uh, the amount of radioactive material that was ejected, and they knew how far it went, and they had a pretty good idea of what was going on. Um, but they had decided what they say out is out of an abundance of caution uh they evacuated a, a giant area around the whole place um and, and his uh this guy wade allison is one of his points that he's trying to get across through his whole lecture is that they shouldn't have done that and there was no reason to and you're you're really just hurting people by uh trying to have a, a level of safety which is just um what what he distinguishes between a level of a real true measure of what's safe and what's not safe and you know how how much radiation to his perception yeah 
it, 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 I think he talks about perception in the last uh, clip here. Let's look at what the food situation is. The Japanese, particularly the mothers, got terrified that they were feeding their children radioactive foods. The mothers of Japan went ape and they protested and they marched. So the government gave in and in April 2012, they lowered the tolerance to 100 becquerels per kilogram, which means that you'd have to eat five tons of radioactive food to get the same as one CT scan. How about water? We've got some extraordinary things happen. In April, uh, 11,500 tons were re released into the sea intentionally. The release of these 11,500 tons was stated to be 100 times the regulation limit, and they were also stated to be absolutely safe. It's not difficult to calculate that it's equivalent to two CT scans if you were to drink a litre of that water every day for three months, which is not recommended anyway. So everything is completely <laughs> out of kilter and uninformed by the science. Yes, indeed. Um, just to, to put a lid on it, uh, I'm going to slip in one last clip, which is an RT report, I think, talking about the, uh, the reporting in, uh, in the West as this was going on. Oh, if I can make it play. Moving on to the continuing nuclear crisis in Japan, a radioactive wave is Remember headed toward one. the United States. Scientists with the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution are tracking debris from last year's Japanese earthquake and tsunami as it makes its way across the Pacific Ocean. That debris, which carries with it extremely high levels of radiation, is currently 186 miles off the coast of Japan and could start lashing the coast of the United States within the year, depending on the currents. Scientists are immediately concerned about a marine life being hit with radiation levels millions of times above normal. But by next year, it'll be in our marine food supply, our rain, and our coastal waters. And so that was the kind of reporting we got at the time. And if you go back to what Mr. Uh, I think it's Dr. Allison was saying, he was talking about directly drinking the water which was ejected into the Pacific, not even after uh, it's been watered down by the fact that it's been diffused into the entire Pacific Ocean, um, let alone the idea that this wave, uh, which was you know, like dumping a bucket of water in the, uh, in the Atlantic Ocean is going to cause a wave that could... Uh, in any sense of the word that you can detect on the shore of uh, of uh, of England, you know it was just kind of wild the to the excess that they they pumped everything up to. Well, it's really interesting too is that the water, which is radioactive because there's some percentage of tritium in it, tritium and deuterium, which are basically tritium is hydrogen, which is normally just a proton and electron. Deuterium has a neutron added and tritium has two neutrons added. It is naturally occurring. So there's a certain amount in the water anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so once it goes in and diffuses through, it's really not a problem. As long as you do it in a slow enough rate that it's not like, and someone doesn't go swimming in it immediately kind of thing. They had, that That was something that he had brought up in his, in the middle of his whole lecture. He's, he was talking about that kind of thing where there's background radiation all the time, everywhere you are. And we ended up yep. with this, it's almost like um, penalizing people. It's, it's like a punitive level of safety that they were pushing for, where they said, uh, despite the fact there's no evidence that this could be harmful at this level, uh, um, and there's no instance they can point to of anything. What, what is it? The Becquerel is the, is the dose, right? 
Um, yeah, so Becquerel is a dose measurement. Yeah, they, they had a certain threshold of how many Becquerels you can have um, before you start having negative health consequences. And up to a certain point, and he, he has all these graphs on the screen where he shows, look, up to a certain point, it's like a threshold. Um, you can actually start taking a lot of radiation in more than you're getting from a CT scan, um, which is still more than any of the uh, any of the uh, the people who would have been living in their own houses near the Fukushima plant would have ever had. Um, that uh, yep. it's it's like um, it's just facetious. It's it's like I don't want to draw uh, direct. Um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll make sort of allusions to things that might be going on right now, and say you know this kind of nonsense is still going on in different uh, different fields. Oh, and silence. Yeah, there we go. This yeah. is a winner of a show. <laughs> I should you, just you out you out nerded the guy who works with nuclear with nuclear shit. I just copied. I what I did is I just played the. Uh, Play the. Let me play a panty stocking garter belt clip. Here we go. I thought he was gonna try to get us into this. his white van to help look for his lost puppy. I know. What are we supposed to talk to every fan? Well, when you're as famous and fuckable as me, what can you expect? Mm. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So I actually, I actually came across a few articles when looking stuff up about uh, Fukushima. Yeah. Uh, one of one of them's from uh, from a site called Homeland Security Today. That's trustworthy. It's about it's about the lessons learned from Fukushima increased nuclear safety. And what it boils what it boils down to essentially is lesson number 1 when building a nuclear power plant always go for defense in depth. And this isn't just like yep. physical defense like how you have like the the barbed wire fences and a paramilitary SWAT team that's always on duty patrolling, but rather that the that the safety systems should have backups and they themselves should have backups and so on. Yeah, and at right? least in Canada, that's a regulatory requirement. You need to have multiple fully independent uh, safety systems. Yeah, but it's not it's not a global requirement and. A lot of a lot of nuclear plants in the states and in Japan, especially since most of them were built from the '60s through '90s using American reactor technology from the '60s. It's like all it's all done uh, with like counting the bottom line first and safety somewhere further down the list. That's not entirely fair because it's also changing uh, conditions or changing regulations. So, like, the Pickering A plant was built under a different set of rules than Darlington or Bruce or the Pickering B plant, and it had to be retrofitted to meet updated requirements. Because our requirement now is you have to have two independent safety systems that can shut down the reaction in under two seconds. And the original design for Pickering A, it took the shutoff rods would meet that, but they did something called a moderator dump, and that took, like, 18 seconds so when they refit the plant they actually yeah, have but to we add also, new safety systems to meet that we also here in canada have a government that's willing to say fuck you industry do what we want whereas in other parts of the world it's not quite like that and so things tend to get grandfathered hmm. right and i think yeah, a lot a I lot of the issues a lot of the issues with uh, tepco i mean 
this happened at Fukushima, but really it could have happened at any TEPCO uh, generating facility. And it's Can because there's two Fukushima plants. You know that, right? Yes, I know. But there's what I'm Fukushima, saying is Daiichi like and Daini. this. Yeah, but let me finish on this. What it is <laughs> is there. There is not the culture of safety first so much in Japan or in the United States, and not just for nuclear power, but for but for like anything because it's because it is so corporate driven. Oh yeah, and TEPCO. I mean, if you look at TEPCO's history, they're they're not seen as one of the best and brightest and safest power companies out there. To put it lightly, like this is something that this is something that would have happened eventually, even if it hadn't have happened in 2011. Eventually, there would have been a screw up of this level at one of their plants or another because. They just don't have the culture in place that says we got to keep safe first and foremost. Well, that one of the findings of the IEA investigation was that TEPCO and the Japanese regulator were a little more chummy than you should have for the person who's telling you what to do. Yeah, well, that's part of the thing. Regulatory capture. We see it here in Canada with the CRTC and the telcos and cable companies. And it's the same yeah. sort of thing, and but the difference is, people don't die when their phone bill when their phone bill goes out of control because because the people who are supposed to be regulating that sort of thing are in bed with the people who yeah. are writing those bills. Yeah, it just means our bills are crazy. <laughs> yeah, we, but anyway, you see what I'm getting on there, right? The yep. the important thing is design safety has to be it has to be the first priority with any power plant, not just nuclear power plants, and then well, you can consider the financial costs. <laughs> no, what was that, Isaac? That's why everyone should just build can dos. Can dos. The can do reactor. Can-do yeah, it's it's it actually it's designed to fail safe, which is not something you can say about like the majority of. American reactor designs, especially those like before the mid '80s. Well, speaking of a culture of safety, we had. I, I used to live in uh, Colorado, and we had. Um, there was an event there. Uh, there was a place called Rocky Flats, um, and just to tell the story for people who don't know, Rocky Flats was a plutonium trigger factory, and they were making triggers for nuclear bombs, and it was this. Uh, they're they're making a really high percentage, I think, of all the plutonium triggers for all the nuclear bombs that they were making, um, and they didn't have a culture of safety. I've, I've been told by I've met some people who either had worked at the plant uh, at, at one point, like in the '80s, or their wife worked at the plant, and they in in even just hearing some stories of around town of you know what what uh what was going on back there and they were pe- all kinds of people complaining they thought that the the management there was letting him get sick over just toxic chemicals not even radioactive things you know this was a situation where they had people who were um should have had a bunch of ppe when they're handling these really toxic materials and they weren't either forced to use it or they weren't uh, told all the risks and that they were getting themselves into and so they they there's a bunch of people who still have health consequences from just working at the Rocky Flats plant. Um, ultimately, what yeah, happened... that's not surprising at all. Ultimately, what happened is 
um, the whole thing burned down. It turns out that when you're machining plutonium, you end up with, well, you end up with a bunch of these little strands, just like any other metal shop. If you start uh, cutting up aluminum, you get these, you know, the, the metal waste. Well, you get the plutonium the waste. Yeah. You, and so they were storing them. And they had supposed, were supposed to have regulations of how much of this stuff you can have in the same spot. It turns out if you let all the, uh, if you let all the um, little bits of plutonium collect together and you keep putting them in a bucket, you know, like they were aluminum. Eventually they actually catch on fire is what I'm told. And that's what happened. They, and they actually had several fires in the different rooms where they were supposed to be holding this stuff in, you know, very controlled ways. And they kept catching on fire and they said, Oh, well shit, I guess we're doing something wrong. And they didn't change anything. They had, you know, all these stupid schemes where they were trying to, like, they had all this waste, no one could get rid of it. So they're like, oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to set up, we're going to build a pond, and then we'll put all this shit, the contaminated water in this pond, and then we'll just, that'll be it. It'll be in the pond. (laughs) And so they had um, a pond that was full of just radioactive waste um, that eventually they made him de- try and deal with it they in the plane to get rid of all the radioactive wastes they uh, let the pond evaporate and then they took the mud from the pond and they built it into these blocks they called pondcrete which were blocks of the pond mud and concrete and they so they just mixed it together and they put them up and they made bricks out of it and they were trying to ship the bricks out to all the different disposal sites in America no one would take them they would ship them down and they get turned away and they said no we don't want that shit what the what's pondcrete Meanwhile, because it was, you know, concrete made with mud, it was always flaking apart and falling apart. It wasn't even a, you know, it wasn't even a a single block. And so when they were trying to move them, they're always falling apart and crumbling and trying to roll away. So it was dangerous to just deal with the, the stuff. So. This place became a super fun site, didn't it? Oh, <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't exist anymore. The, what happened was some of the buildings burned down, and they were spewing out. Surprise! Uh, yeah, radi- just. Well, they had several fires beforehand, and then finally one took the whole building. It, we're supposed to be surprised by it. They had a fallout. Uh, there's some fallout maps you can see around the, that area in uh, Colorado, in the front range of Colorado, where they had just – there's still elevated levels of, um, of background radiation all around that place. Um, and they, they ended up shutting it down, and they tore down all the other buildings. Supposedly, there's a train out on the tracks at Rocky Flats. So there, there's a bunch of um, – train lines that run in the air there was one that ran through the um one of the fields which is blocked off now you know from the area where where uh where this whole thing happened and so they took the train was on the tracks and they were trying to get rid of it but no one would take the train and so what they did is they just pulled up the tracks behind it and they pulled up the tracks in front of it and the train's still there out in the field somewhere this uh wow yeah because no one wanted it. they, they the didn't NRC want to take allowed it allowed this yeah well it's so I, I haven't seen it myself. Supposedly it's there and you can you can go out. Right now it's a wildlife reserve. Um, it's not dangerous to be out there. The, what I understand about the material that was ejected from the Rocky Flat site is um, the radioactive parts of it are, well, they're just naturally heavier than the other material out there. And so if they fall into, you know, a pond or they into a field and you let them sit there for 20 or 30 years, what happens is they just work themselves down through the, uh, through the, uh, the soil. They, you know, just through the, the norm, they end up underneath everything. And you yeah. really only have a problem if you go out and start trying to like dredge the lake or, uh, start digging, uh, digging foundations for houses is the way it was put. Well, 
I think two years ago they started digging foundations for houses in the. Of course. You know, I, I try and take a uh, realistic view on some of these things. Microwave safety is something I try and take a realistic view on. Radiation safety, I don't actually have to deal with most of the time. Um, but the, uh, I wouldn't want to live At there. You know, not, it's not, it's not like, do you really want to? Do you really want to build a house on rocky flats? So they're building, you know, these whole housing complexes. Um, and they would give them funny names. Uh, one was a senior, one was a retirement center. It was like a 55-plus community. I went down and, and kind of drove around that circle once just to see what was there. And, you know, it's like... Glowing uh, gardens? <laughs> it's, it's not that bad, <laughs> but it's like they definitely don't want that uh, that news story that says, yeah, this is the... Ro you're living on the Rocky Flats disaster site, you know. They try and hide it from the news. That'd be one way to get cheap property <laughs> values. <laughs> yeah. Well, they I were need to buy a house. Yeah. Release the story. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, well. I think that's enough for radiation. That was, uh... That's something I've been meaning to do on here for a while. I, I want to try and do a... I don't know how the format's supposed to I got two more headlines that I want to mention before we change topic. Oh, go ahead. Bring them up. So, the, ne the next one is... The head of the... Of the Fukushima nuclear plant says that the current target for decommissioning of about 30 to 40 years doesn't need to be extended any despite the despite the worries about all the all the corium still inside the uh, inside the reactors that needs to be removed okay and then finally UN a UN scientific panel on Tuesday which was yesterday confirmed confirmed a previous finding that radiation from the 2011 Fukushima disaster in Japan was unlikely to raise cancer rates discernibly and said a jump in thyroid cancer in children was due to ultra-sensitive screening methods. So I guess what they're doing is they're, they're doing more than 33 cycles with the PCR for, for cancer cells. Well, what it more likely is, is it used to be You'd only get tested for thyroid cancer if you came in and had a problem already. Now that they're proactively testing, they're finding precursors to thyroid cancer that they wouldn't have otherwise detected because the people wouldn't have had a problem to go get checked. Oh yeah, I'm just I'm just making I'm just taking a dig at the use of PCR tests as a diagnostic, hmm. which they're not supposed to be. I've always but anyway seen... that I'm sticking the I'm sticking those articles into the show notes. Sure. So people can read them if they want. Right. Well, we had some other shows going on this uh, this week. We had on uh, Hog Story, episode 164. It was Chabot Attack, wasn't it? Or was it Chatbot Attack? They had uh, episode 164. The search for hair on Mars uh, was one of the things they were talking about. I thought that was kind of funny. Elon Musk is going to Mars. He's going to terraform it to get more hair on it. <laughs> Uh, grumpy old Ben. Well, said, because the red planet isn't is like bald, it, it could use it could use hair, some hair. We need uh, the hair club for Mars. Uh, grumpy old Ben. There is another epi the episode before that. The episode before that. Since we never seem to mention the Thursday, oh, they don't episodes, need to. They don't. They don't need to know about that episode. That's not important. They do. Everybody <laughs> needs to know about that episode because I was on it. I was on episode one sixty three of Hog Story. Yes, you were. And that was All a right, fun. That, that was your fun episode. Hi. <laughs> right. So yeah, episode one sixty three. Sheet people. 
where I was executive producer and I was the guest. Ah. It was a lot of fun. On the episode, we did some cold reads. In fact, it was it was so fun that we did the episode twice. Yes, that's yes. Fletcher's story, and he's sticking to it. You know, you did a pretty good job of um, retelling all the same jokes the same way the second time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm a professional podcaster. What can I say? Wait, do you get paid for this? Oh, he yeah. said podcaster. No, that, not yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He said pot. Eventually, eventually we'll start taking we'll start taking Bitcoin donations. Uh we'll see if anyone will send eventually. I'm still waiting for somebody to send me to send me an address so that I can set up the uh payments out from the from the wallet where the money will be coming in hmm. for donations. Hmm. <coughs> it's on a different hard drive, I told you that. This is my recording hard drive. Yeah, my stuff's on the other hard drive. I'll just, I'll just keep it all. That works too. Like what Darren does to what Darren does to Bemrose. Uh, speaking of speaking Darren, of which, yeah, Grumpy Old Ben's had uh, two interview shows. They had a uh, uh, well. Let's just talk about the most recent one was one forty one that was bloviating with Gene, where we had Sir Gene. Uh, Sir Gene was on the talking to Darren O'Neill for a very very long time. Yes, their longest episode to date. Yeah, but still not as long as the longest No Agenda episode, which. To, uh, if I remember correctly, Bemrose said was about seven hours and was like episode 984 or something. Jesus. Somewhere in the 900s. The yeah. 10th anniversary show. I would. <laughs> of course you would. Yeah, it was kind of wild. Of course I would. I can't get enough of John C. Dvorak. Jeez. Um, we had a, I always want to remind people to go listen to Maps with Matt. He has episode four out. Episodes one through four Maps are excellent. With Matt? Maps with Matt. Matt is a yep. uh, Well, I don't know. What would you call him? Like cartographer. He's a French Canadian weirdo. He is a cartographer. Mapper. Is a good is a good word to use for him. He is a map maker uh, professionally, and he has a podcast oh. where he talks about the history of maps and interesting maps. His most recent episode was about mysterious maps and the mysteries that. Uh, yep. that are, and that, that was about two them. weeks ago now. Oh yeah, interesting. Because yeah. I just found a Kickstarter. So, about so another another couple maps. weeks, and we start the and we start the count again. <laughs> well, we'll see. I don't know if I'm going to be that mean to him again. I used to do. Um, just so you know, I suck. I used to have a countdown. Matt used to make uh, Is it the final countdown. Well, it was a countdown for. It was actually a My count maps. up. It was a count up from when the last episode was, and we were getting close to a year. So I was I was on it for a while. Oh my! Yeah. Uh, finally it was it was a lot it was a lot of fun yep um nick the rat has going on what's going on with nick the rat and yeah he has i'm not a rat it just says wednesdays not you (laughs) nick the rat on 310 says wednesday 310 and then he has no topic so i don't know it's hard to tell i'm sure there's something going on if you tune in um i think coming up maybe they might be starting soon we have john and carolyn blaney are going to be on uh abs in a six-pack I'm looking for my note here. Um, they may be going on live right about now. I don't know. Um, yeah, because we are definitely running over time today. Yeah, I don't know how we Again. did that. Uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, so... Because I'm amazing. So 20 minutes from when we're recording this. Yeah. All right. Well, if, All right. is there any uh, final business? I think we're, we're going to wrap this uh, shindig up. 
If you pull a surge gene, oh, I'm just going to mute you. There's a couple things. <laughs> there's a couple things that that I still want to bring up. We can I still want to bring up because it's it's timely. Okay. Some things I'm some things I'm going to push off, but uh, so it's the end of MIPS. 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 You've heard of you've heard of the MIPS processor architecture. I was thinking MIP maps for a second there. Uh, no, no, I'm talking MIPS MIPS. MIPS. So oh. what happened? What happened was the company that the company also called MIPS was bought by some AI company that renamed themselves, but they went bankrupt, and now and now instead of producing processor IP cores with the with the MIPS. Uh, instruction set architecture they are now going to actually produce physical chips that uh, that use the risk 5 isa so no lo no longer are they going to be are they going to be a licensing company for ip cores but they're going to be producing physical chips probably through another company as the actual foundry hmm. what yeah would, what would mips you... is now risk 5 what would you find and a the, uh, I mean, MIPS heart yeah. MIPS uh, core inside? What kind of hardware are we talking about? Uh, a lot of a lot of consumer networking hardware. Uh, for example, my router here is is a MIPS CPU in it. The Nintendo sixty four, the first two generations of the PlayStation, as well as the PlayStation Portable, all used uh, MIPS CPUs. Mm -hmm. A uh, number of workstation computers back in the back in the eighties and nineties, including including like a lot of silicon graphics uh, workstations, used MIPS. So it's not. It's definitely. It's definitely been around town. Oh yeah, Nintendo sixty four. Uh, yeah, but that, this is the end of it. They're they're now going from going from their tried and true long running. Uh, instruction set architecture that they've licensed out and they're now going to actually produce risk 5 chips because there, there's no point there's not much point in creating ip cores for risk 5 when the isa itself is completely free and open and there are a number of different projects out there providing already providing free ip cores for the architecture so yeah end of an era end of an era was there another topic end of an era. you said there was two things yep the and the other topic that i'm bringing up is j-pop is now starting to take over the world apparently that's something we this is something i was going to bring up this is something i was going to bring up last week even this is from a. this is from a a Wall Street Journal article from February. Okay. So we'll talk more about it next week. But yeah, apparently, apparently, move aside, K-pop. Your your time is over. All right. It speaking, is now time for the J-pop. Speaking of times that are that that are uh, over, this is our time. It is now over. <laughs> it's yeah. So, uh, we are. We really got to pull the plug. Running on this. long. So Sir Gene would introduce a new topic every time they tried to close the show, and we're not going to do that here. <laughs> No. So, until next time, uh, first I want to say, uh, Icehawk, thanks for coming on with us. But, uh, uh, I've been thanks, Icehawk, being here. I've been Abel Kirby. I've been Cold Acid. Adios. I've been Icehawk.
Hey, Doc. I had a good woman. Yeah. But she laid down, honey, and died. Oh, I had a good woman. But she laid down and died. Don't you know everybody tell me she wasn't satisfied?